Your Money Replay from Money FM 89.3. Money and Me on Your Money, only on Money FM 89.3. So, you know, we're on a mission here on Money and Me. I'm Michelle Martin. Good morning. And the mission is ways that you can lead, we can all lead a richer life. And joining me today is Carlos Lee. He's President-Elect of Insurance and Financial Practitioners Association of Singapore, or IFPAS. And we're talking today about financial adulting for millennials. That's a very important topic, I think. Financial adulting for millennials. Some people in their 40s haven't adulted yet, so... Shall we just call it financial adulting? How are you, Carlos? Good morning. Good morning to you, Michelle. Thank you for having me here today. Oh, such a pleasure. And congratulations. So this year, we were just talking off air. IFPAS is 50. You're celebrating your 50th anniversary. Uh, yes. IFPAS has been around since 1969 till now. So we just celebrated our 50th anniversary, uh, October this month. Happy anniversary. And Thank thanks you very for much. being here. So today we're talking about financial adulting. I think the thing with millennials is when they think of insurance, they worry about their premiums. They think those premiums are going to be so massive. I just started working. Don't have enough in terms of my cash flow. So I'll think about it later. Uh, why do you think it's important that you know millennials get savvy about their finances? Okay, for millennials, when they started work, when they receive the first salary, um, they actually need to sit down and go through their budgeting. Like I think average uh, graduate holders that came out to the workforce, they earn an average salary of about 3005 plus minus. Mm-hmm. So key thing is that they do have study loans to pay. Yeah. That's one thing. Um, normally, we'll advise them to sit down, go through the finances. Example, setting aside 50% for expenses, the balance, uh, pay their school loans, as well as save for emergency funds. At the same time, if they can, start building up their wealth, okay. doing planning for the future you. I like so that. So that is very important. And for the future, you. And we also got some nice breakdowns. So 50, 50%, you can put uh, aside maybe, spend. Maybe average about 50% for expenses. Yeah. 20% for savings. Okay. For so insurance. Just trying to divide that up. Then 3,005 um, divided by 2,007-ish. 3,005 take home pay after CPF is about 2,008. Oh, yes, forgot about that. Then, uh, yeah, I must remember for CPF, <laughs> uh, they are building the funds for their HDB. <laughs> you need that. So the take home pay is about 2008. Okay. So if they can spend about 1004 for expenses, mm-hmm. so that will be the food, the transport, day to day expenses. Yep. So that they can manage it. Then the balance, uh, 20%, if they can, put into savings for emergency funds, mm. set aside some for insurance. Then the balance, 30%, plus minus, they can do uh, building up their wealth. So they can slowly accumulate, then start investing. So what is your take on whether or not millennials in Singapore are financially savvy? What do you think? Not all are financially Allocated. So the key thing is because when they finish their study, they come out to work, yeah. there's a lot of temptation. They tend to go holiday first, uh. buy things that they like. Mm. Uh, so they need to identify between the needs and the wants. Right. Uh, oh, full of good stuff today. Needs versus wants. And also you want to start uh, financial planning at an early age to take advantage of the seventh wonder of the world, compound interest, right? Correct. Compound interest is one. Number two is the you have a good runway. So that means if you are young, you start at the age of 25, you start to save. You save a smaller amount because you got a good runway from 25 to retirement age of 65. Mm. So you have a good 30 years, 40 years to save. So those are some of the golden rules of financial planning, in your opinion? Mm, yes. 
Save. They have to save. 50%. They have to accumulate. Mm-hmm. Then later they have to invest. Okay. So these are the three things that is very important. You know, a lot of millennials think, what's a fair price that I should be paying for my insurance premiums? Because I, I don't want to pay too much. They have cash flow issues. Mm. They're not earning very much to begin with. They're trying to get on their feet and they're trying to save for big ticket expenses, right? Correct. So when it comes to a fair price to pay for insurance, what do you say to that? Um, as, a, as a start, I will suggest that kept within 10%. So 10% of take-home pay, mm. they can set aside for insurance. But the most important insurance they should start off with is actually health insurance. Yes. And they also need to discuss with their parents because some parents have already head start for them. So try not to buy things that is duplicate. Oh, I see. Uh, so one is duplicate, they notice that eh, they may be paying extra because later part when the parents pass the insurance that they bought for them to uh, the millennials, they'll find that eh, they got so much thing to pay for. And what do you think is most important when it comes to health insurance that they look at? Health insurance will be mainly the shield plan. So that should be the fundamental. The first thing, um, MediShield Life. MediShield Life, uh, MediShield Life, if they want to upgrade to a better plan, yep. they can find those integrated shield plan. Yep. Because uh, in Singapore, uh, healthcare costs is getting more and more expensive. And if they can get on board first with a clean health, that means there's no exclusion on the on the insurance plan itself. Yeah. So they get a full coverage. So important. Mm. You know, I was reading there was a an, um, critical illness gap according to one of the insurers who carried out a piece of research recently saying there was a critical illness gap. Yes. Um, do you think that should be attended to? Uh, that will be the second part because uh, the health insurance will take care of all the medical expenses including, let's say, the person is down with critical illness. They need to do treatment like chemo, surgery, the health insurance will take care. So the critical illness gap is actually more pertaining to the loss of income. Mm. Mm. So let's say they're down with um, critical illness, they may be down from work at least six months to two years. So we need an income replacement. So that's where the critical illness insurance will come to help in terms of family finances. Okay, so you said start with MediShield right? MediShield, MediShield Life. Yes. And then outside of that, that's when the confusion starts. People start to think, you know, do I need hospitalization insurance if I'm already working? Do I need, what else do they need? The health insurance is actually the hospitalization insurance. So it's actually taken care for. So that's the basic tier. So once the health insurance taken care, the next tier they look at is protection. So protection can be uh, protect in the event of untimely death or let's say unforeseen illness like critical illness, cancer, kidney failure mm. so this is the second part they look at so and should normally, millennials be looking at this or just you know relying on the insurance that they get from their employers when it comes to health um, employer benefit is actually very limited because most company they give uh, they do give medical benefit but there's a capping Mm. And most of the hospital and surgical plan from a company benefit is about ten thousand to twenty thousand. If let's say the bill size is fifty thousand, then the company can only pay part of the total bill. Right. And the next thing is that company insurance is not portable. So the moment they move from company A to company B, uh, because of medical history, they move to the next company. They may not be covered. Good tips there. Uh, 9717889893 if you have any questions. Jump in on our conversation. He's Carlos Lee, President-Elect of the Insurance and Financial Practitioners Association of Singapore. So here's a question. How can I figure out if my broker is offering products that I need? Because I understand insurance brokers get paid commissions. Mm. So, you know, some question about whether or not that people are being sold products they really need mm-hmm. or sold a product because... 
it will give the person selling the insurance a greater commission. Then I will say that the, the consumer have to be allocated in a way that they must know in the market what type of insurance is available and whether the insurance does it suit their needs. Because it's always um, doing a full-pledged financial planning, they can go through and know that where are the gaps. So from the gaps, uh, the broker or the insurance advisor will actually customise a blueprint for them in terms of the insurance plan, mm. in terms of financial planning as a whole. But um, in terms of advice from the broker, they have to do their due diligence. Normally, when I suggest to my client is that if you look for advisor, try to find from word of mouth. Okay. That means people recommend you this advisor have been very helpful, knowledgeable. Then you can look for this group of advisors. Very interesting. Because sometimes first experience with a new advisor, you don't know the credential of the advisor. Mm. So if you want to get a good advisor, maybe through word of mouth or maybe make sure that the advisor are qualified and being well-trained or certified. Yeah, look for reviews. Yes. You know, advisor reviews. I'm surprised there isn't a website the way you have for TripAdvisor where people can look up reviews of different uh, uh, I think at the moment, brokers. not for insurance broker or insurance practitioner. There are insurance comparison sites. Yes. Places like GoBear and things like that. Correct, like Compafers, Where you can compare the plans, but not quite the people selling you the plans mm. yet. Okay, next stage... He's Carlos Lee, President-Elect of Insurance and Financial Practitioners Association of Singapore. So we talked about um, the first things insurers um, that millennials should do, have a plan, have some awareness about your money coming in and and leaving at the end of every month, and then look at your health insurance. Are there any other golden rules that you want to bring up? The next thing is that consumer, so-called millennials, when it comes to spending, they have to take note of their spending. Because right now, with the rising contactless payment, a lot of time they actually make payment not using cash, but using the phone, using the watch. So they actually lost track on their expenses. Mm. And then uh, at the same time, there's a lot of online purchases. So because they buy a few items together, they get a better discount, but end up they overpurchase. So they unknowingly, they actually overspend. Yeah. So which is very dangerous because they are buying something that they don't need or they buy because of temptation or impulsive buying. I notice among all my credit cards, the one with the highest spend is the contactless card. Correct. Because you lost track. Even now, I think there's some primary school, they started using watch. So they use watch to pay at the canteen for the noodles, for the rice, for the water. Mm. So in a way, the children may lost track of the fiscal dollar value, how much they spend. Yeah, it's so important to still feel that connection with the value of money. Correct. So they must uh, instill the right attitude and value of how money works. Yeah. And they must understand the cash flow. Yeah, nothing like the terror of looking into your wallet and realising there's nothing in there cash-wise. <laughs> but these days, that's the norm. People don't have carry much cash. Correct, they carry a phone. <laughs> so wherever they go, they have a phone and pay through the phone. <laughs> that's pay true. Yeah, be aware of your spending and try to keep it within 50%. Uh, so people know that they're different life cycle. You're a millennial, you're moving from... <laughs> have, have we covered all the areas that you think are important for financial planning? Yes? Okay, so yeah. we can move on to the different life cycles stages so you're you're a slightly older millennial you've got a home and you know you're planning ahead what should you be thinking of once they come out to the workforce for the millennials they normally plan for a big ticket item let's say they got a partner they may plan to buy a house so all these are big ticket item then next thing is actually renovation so some even have a, another ambition is actually to get a car so all these are big ticket items that they need to save 
be it for the initial deposit to pay the first instalment or they have to manage the cash flow properly mm. so that they can actually handle all these big ticket items along the way. Yeah. And oh, I think there are some of them who spend a lot in wedding. So I think one wedding, they can spend up to 50000 or even 100000 because of the wedding shoot. Instead of in Singapore, some of them will want to fly out of Singapore oh. to do a wedding shoot. Oh, is so, that the trend now? Uh, some of them, they do that. We just had some young men in here uh, and they were talking about how to start off on a good foot as a millennial and they said, you know, question how much you need to spend on your wedding. Maybe you don't need a 50000 wedding. Mm. Maybe you need a $20,000 wedding. Correct. Yeah. So depending how you manage your wedding expenses mm. because end up after the wedding, you'll be the one with your spouse that is paying the instalment. But well, hopefully the Ang Pao's cover some of that. <laughs> yeah. It, <laughs> hopefully this big Ang Pao. <laughs> So there are benefits to holding a big wedding as well. It's a bit uh, of a risk. True, true, true. <laughs> then the next thing is actually renovation of the house. Okay, so what? It- so some of them will spend a lot in terms of renovating. Uh, some of the housing, they come with, um, example, wall rope. Then they say they don't have the design, they tear it down, they rebuild. Mm. Mm, so they can spend a lot on the house uh, renovation as well. Okay. Mm. Let's talk about investing because a lot of our listeners are very keen on that part of the money equation, mm. right? So we're saving, as a, as a millennial, I'm saving half my salary. The other half I'm using for insurance, food, transport, and I want to invest with it. So what are yes. some must-haves for a millennial's investment portfolio? Investment portfolio, the key thing, firstly, they must understand their cash flow and debt management so that they can make sure they have excess money to set aside for investment. So investment, they can use insurance as one of the instrument. Under the insurance-linked investment? Um, it can be an endowment policy. It can be an investment-linked policy. If they have good knowledge, they can start uh, doing shares, ETF. Mm-hmm. Some of them will actually try out Forex, value investing. So the key thing is that um, right now in the social media there's so many exposure of different investment methods, but they do need to know uh, their own risk appetite because not everybody is suitable for Forex. Not everybody is suitable for stock and shares. So it depends on the individual risk appetite. And whatever they read from the internet, uh, make sure they do their due diligence check because at times they only show you the good side, which they make profit, example, 20%, 30%. But when it comes to individual investing, they may not have that kind of risk appetite and knowledge to make that kind of same equal returns. Hmm. Mm. Great tips there. Let me ask you this. As a, you know, someone who, who is a big part of the insurance industry, would I be able to ask a question like, if it's an insurance-linked policy, would I be able to ask, for every dollar, how much of my dollar is being invested on my behalf and that I will be able to get returns on? Mm, yes. Uh, so right now, the insurance-linked policy uh, under the benefit ta- table, uh, we actually do shows there how much money is being invested and how much is the insurance that they need to pay in terms of the insurance coverage. So example, 100% you invested uh, for regular regular investing plan, maybe about 10 to 20% is set aside for coverage. But it all boils so down to... So your returns are actually going on like 80 cents, not... 20, correct. Your investment not, will be 80, 80 cents, cents, not 20 cents will be coverage. Dollar. Correct. So you've got to keep that in mind when you look at the projections. Yes, and in the, in the event of um, investment link policy, mm. uh, it's up to the consumer because it's just like a seesaw. Seesaw concept means that one side is coverage, one side is savings. 
how much coverage they want, they can actually tilt the seesaw. That means I, if you want my coverage to be high, because right, right, now, right now I'm young, I want high coverage, but I have limited budget. So they may use investment link policy. They can say, oh, 50% of my monthly amount will be in coverage. 50% will be invested. What do you think are some key questions people should ask? Because people like convenience. So when they hear, oh, this is uh, insurer investment and, and protection all in one package, neat package. Sounds like a good idea. But what do you suggest they, they really ask in terms of questions so that they can exhibit due diligence? Um, number one, they should actually ask about um, what are the charges involved. If, let's say I want a higher coverage, how much would that cost? Mm. And um, the plan itself must have flexibility for you to make adjustment because um, as you get older, the insurance charges get higher. Right. So you actually have to make uh, your adjustment along the way. Mm. Are there some mm. plans that stop if you're not working? Uh, for investment link policy, you can choose to do a premium holiday. Okay. So there's actually options available for you to stop temporarily. And uh, if you're in need of cash, you also can sell part of your investment and then cash out. Okay. Mm. So I understand that if passed, the association that you're from, the Insurance and Financial Practitioners, Practitioners Association of Singapore, um, is reaching out to consumers. You share our mission. You, you want to educate consumers as mm. well. What yes. are some of your community outreach events? Okay, for EPAS, we did quite a number of community outreach events. Uh, one of the major ones we did in the past is the MediShield Life Consultation. We actually have about 700 to 800 practitioners uh, disseminate down to the different CC. Is that going to happen again? Because listeners want to know what they can... Like Coming to. forward, what we are doing will be, next year we'll be helping out in the casual life. So we'll be also helping out with the ministry to actually do education to the members of public on that. The second one that we did uh, next year, we're going to coming coming soon, is actually we did a collaboration with MCCY because right now MCCY would like to uh, educate those people from age 15 to 35. So in terms of how they should manage the money from a very young age of teenager yeah. to students in the uni to coming out to the workforce in their early 20s mm. followed by 30s. Hey, MCCY, that's what we do on this program too. Ah, <laughs> we should get in touch. You should so get in touch. what we'll be doing for them is that uh, we will later part having a consultation. We, we are able to let the consumer to get in touch with EPAS then we actually will do a one-to-one -one consultation for them at no obligation. Key thing is actually to do, uh, teach them the method of doing financial literacy over a period of time. Oh, mm. really? Very fascinating. So that's coming up next year. Yes. What, what are you seeing in terms of uh, the insurance scene, trends that you are observing that you think consumers need to be aware of? Okay, right now the overall interest rate is low. Okay, so certain people will actually right now they save some money under the insurance endowment. After that, they will start doing investment because investment in long term because of the time horizon and they do dollar cost averaging, they actually can get a better returns. But of course, they have to do their own uh, risk assessment first mm -hmm. to see whether they are suitable for different type of plans. So one trend that you're seeing is that people are... They're more open up to investment right now Yes, for youngsters. Yes, they really are. Correct. It's great hunger. Great hunger at the same time. Getting started. They just want to get out of the rat race. Yes. So they're working very hard to save, to build out the first pot of gold so that later part they can invest. Because moving forward, um, in terms of the current economy, there's no job as job certainty. There's a lot of up and downs. Mm. So we cannot be having one job 
for the rest of 20 years, 30 years. Mm. So we need to be prepared. One day we lost our job, we got money to fall back, we got a savings plan to fall back for retirement or pre-retirement. So we come back to ground zero. It all starts with saving, huh? Yes. And, and the, the income. And maybe maybe going back even further, thinking about multiple income streams. Mm, true. With. So some of them will actually start planning to build passive income. Then uh, some of the parents, uh, they are willing to give a first head start for the millennials. So what they do is that maybe they can start off, the parents actually supported them for the first three to five years. What do you mean, as in a loan from the bank of parent or um, providing a roof over their heads? Roof over their heads, uh, education funds set up for them. Instead of they paying the, uh, the, the loans, loans, the study loan, mm. the parents will actually take up some of the savings to help them to settle off the education loan. Well, even if you don't have that head start, we've got some great tips for you today in terms of what you should think about mm. um, to get yourself going when it yes. comes to being smart with your money. Well, thank you very much for this session. Very okay. insightful. Thank you. And I wish you all the best moving forward. Carlos Lee is President-Elect of Insurance and Financial Practitioners Association of Singapore, IFPAS. And this has been Money and Me. I'm Michelle Martin. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.